0: Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness
1: for women. Welcome to her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful
0: vitality that you deserve. Hey, it's Dr. Kieran. Welcome back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. Thank you so much for joining me. I think you're going to really find my guest very inspiring, but spoiler alert, you might find this information challenging. I did. It's very challenging for me to really come face to face with the truth of what's happening with human trafficking particularly of women in this world and in the United States and in our local communities. That's right, your community and my community. It's something that you don't hear about a lot in the media and it really is underreported and it's affecting so many people. So this may not be a subject matter for kids. If kids are in the car, you probably don't want to have this on while they're there or put on headphones. And just a warning, it is challenging and it can be a little bit triggering to really hear the facts of what's going on and to know that this is really endemic and epidemic and it's something that not a lot of people are aware of or doing something about. So when I learned about my guest today, Rima Nashabishi I immediately had to talk to her and have her on the podcast because this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. I previously have worked with a nonprofit in Atlanta working with rehabilitating women who had been trafficked. And I worked on helping them to improve their office skills and prepare for job interviews because a lot of them had never had to go for job interviews. They didn't know what to wear. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know the etiquette. And this is something that you probably take for granted. I know I take for granted that it's something so ingrained in me. I learned how to do it when I was in high school. Well, these women who are trafficked sometimes from a very young age, they don't ever have these experiences. So, they don't know what to wear. They don't know what proper etiquette is. So, that was how I paid back the community when I was living there at the time. And worked with them, and it was really delightful to work with them. So, Rima raises money to help them, to fund activism, to try to get laws made to change this. And we're gonna talk about Chipot- what chapati is. You've probably heard me talk about it in the intro. And, or actually, I will talk about it. So, I didn't know, wasn't familiar with that word. And Rima had to clue me in, so she'll clue you in too. There's so much that I was not aware of that she brought to my attention. And I think you're really going to appreciate having this brought to your attention too. And then I challenge you to take this information and just don't feel defeated, but to take it as fuel and ask yourself what can I do? Because like I said, in the teaser, and this quote came from Rima, it's one of it's her favorite quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And Margaret Mead said that. So I'm going to challenge you to think about what is something that you could do today tomorrow this week what is something you can do what action can you take to increase awareness about human trafficking and maybe you might want to volunteer for an organization that helps to put an end to this there are lots of them so i'll tell you a little bit more about REMA and we'll get started Rima Nashabishi is the founder and president of Global Hope 365, a local nonprofit dedicated to ending harmful practices towards women and girls such as child marriage, human trafficking, and chapati. RIma is an internationally recognized speaker, political and community leader and activist with more than 20 years of experience in global activism, promoting openness, equal opportunity, tolerance, fairness, and justice for all persons of all genders, ethnicity, religious backgrounds, and political persuasions. Rima has been a featured speaker internationally and has been hosted by the U.S. Department of State in Jerusalem, Qatar, Bahrain, and Kuwait. In addition, she groomed Saudi women on government office candidacy during the historic inaugural election in 2015 that first allowed women to participate. We are all getting through this together one day at a time and it's a perfect opportunity to dive into some issues that we may not be aware of that we need to be aware of other than COVID-19 that are important because they're going on every day and so can you help everybody listening understand How is human trafficking still an issue in 2020? Sure. As you know, I founded and I'm the president of Global
1: Hope 365. And Global Hope 365 is dedicated to improving the lives of women and girls locally, nationally, and worldwide. We advocate for their safety through raising awareness, education, and empowerment. And our goal is ending harmful practices against women and girls, starting in California. And these harmful practices are child marriage and human trafficking. So everybody, I do 10 to 12, I used to do 10 to 12 speaking engagement a month to raise awareness and save lives. Now we're doing them digitally. Most everybody thinks that human trafficking Is these foreign women that are brought into the US, or it's something that happens overseas but doesn't happen here? I tell you, everywhere I go, that's what people think, and I'm surprised and I'm shocked. But actually, 96%, between 90 and 96%, of the women in sex trafficking in the US are US citizens. And so they're trafficked in the area that they live in. But the way there's a lot of ways that traffickers try to recruit women. Uh, People think it's about kidnapping. Some of it, yes. But now, with the advent of social media, a lot of the women, girls, and boys are recruited through uh, social media, through gaming rooms, through chat rooms, by somebody waiting outside the school looking for that young girl who's walking alone, and then they approach them, they groom them, they promise them designer items and uh, expensive lifestyle, and they send them to get their nails done, their hair done, and that's what's called the grooming. They let them think that their boyfriend, if that's the kind of age or or their friend, and then after they uh, trust them completely, then they start saying, well, would you please help us make the rant? Or I need you to help me make my rant. You trust me, right? And then it starts, why don't you sleep with these men? Uh, Some other examples is a girl in middle school asked another girl, you know, my dad and I will take you home. Well, six months later, the father found his daughter. Uh, Needless to say, that man wasn't the other girl's father. And she was raped, and she was put into sex trafficking. Uh, hadn't the father had enough money to hire a private investigator to find his child, they wouldn't have been able to find her. And so, parents and teachers and everyone need to be aware of the signs of
0: basically trafficking. There's a lot of signs that. Well, let's. Get into that in just a second, but I just want to, just for everybody listening, because that was a lot that you just said, and uh, there are a lot of people who are not aware of this. I wasn't aware until a few years ago when I was living in Atlanta and was made aware that it's a huge problem in Atlanta. And um, I actually volunteered with a group for a while that rehabilitated women who had been um, trafficked. So for everybody listening, what is the difference between prostitution and human trafficking or human sex trafficking? What's the difference? Thank you for that question.
1: It's very important. Human trafficking, which involves both labor and sex trafficking, is about fraud, force, and coercion. And somebody making money out of somebody working for them, again, either for labor or in sex trafficking. Did you know that a trafficker, and it's too bad I can't show you a video, it's extremely powerful, that a trafficker working two women can make $800,000 cash a year. And these young women will have 14 to 16 to 20 men going through them a day. So fraud, force, and coercion. Prostitution is when you decide you want to do that either to augment your income or because you think that's the only choice you have. And thankfully, our law enforcement has been educated enough, most of them that is, that now they differentiate between everybody was a prostitute until, of course, their education that now we have aware that there are victims of human trafficking and there are prostitutes. So the victims are treated now like victims and they're not charged with prostitution. And basically, this is like the group that you've been helping with. A lot of groups are in there to help the victims regain their life because this is a trauma that will never leave you. So they need all the help that they can get. However, Global Hope 365 is about preventing victims from happening in the first place. That's why we're all about raising awareness at education. I speak at schools. Well, yesterday I just spoke at Fullerton College here locally, but of course through Zoom meeting but I teach at schools, interfaith groups. I mean, I speak, not teach. So I speak at various groups, uh, universities, colleges, Kiwanis, Rotary, only to raise awareness about that issue of child marriage and human trafficking here in the U.S.
0: And so on that note, I just want to Let listeners know, I will be putting your contact information in the show notes so that if you want to have Rima come talk to your group virtually, she welcomes the opportunity to raise awareness. So fraud, force, and coercion differentiates it. Now, what about child marriage? Is that happening in the U.S.? And how do you define that? I'm sorry to say that it
1: is happening in the U.S., and can you give me
0: a guess of how many states is child marriage legal just a guess Legal Oh my gosh I would hope it's 0 but by you're asking me so I'll say I'll say 5 It is not legal in 2 states and it's legal in
1: 48
0: states And how is that defined? It's child marriage is under 18. So they can marry somebody of any age above 18. They can marry. Yes. The first two states that passed legislation
1: that said no child marriage under 18, no exceptions, are Delaware, and that was in May 2018. So it's recent, followed by New Jersey in June 2018. And we still have 48 states to go, including yours and mine.
0: And so how is that used? Is that used by traffickers? They get their children married so that they have control. Is that what happens? No, it's uh, they're used by their parents, basically.
1: Uh, child marriage is legal because uh, you need parental consent. So, And in some states, it requires parental consent and judicial approval. And in some states, there are minimum ages, in other states, not. Like, for example, in California, where I live, there is no minimum age whatsoever. And you need parent consent and judge's approval and 30-day waiting period. And that only happened these last two years. Senator Jerry Hill from Northern California tried to pass A legislation that said no child marriage under 18, no exception, he thought it was a no-brainer. Well, the bill came under attack and opposition, and it was watered down so bad. So now they require 30-day waiting period until the minor is pregnant. And unfortunately, child marriage... I'll give you the example of Sherry Johnson, which started me on this journey. And it was by an article written by, I mean... Nicholas Kristof for the New York Times, and he wrote a great book on human trafficking called Half the Sky. If anyone will get that book and read it, so I recommend it. So Sherry Johnson was 10 years old as she lived in Florida. She was repeatedly raped by a deacon in the church and a parishioner. At 11, she became pregnant. Child welfare was going to do an investigation. So the family and the church got together, and they married her off to the 20-year-old drapist. So Sherry said, they took the handcuffs off of him because it's statutory rape, and then they put them on me. When she became 18, she found a friendly lawyer who got her a divorce from this abusive relationship. She had seven kids, Corinne, seven kids. So 11 to 18, she had seven kids. So that child did not have the time to go to school, which means she didn't get educated or vocational training or go to college. So what kind of a job would she have in order to feed her kids? And at times there was no food on the table for either her or the kids, but she didn't continue to play the victim. She started advocating the Florida legislator and they raised it all the way to 17, not 18, but they raised it to 17, I talked to her because she said that she didn't want either her children or anybody else's child to go through that. Because as you know, when there's an age differential, the percentage of that young girl becoming a victim of domestic violence is extremely high because of the age differential. And two-thirds of these marriages end up in divorce.
0: Why would parents, why would they have married their daughter to the abuser? Can you talk about what's why that's happening? To be honest with you, I cannot comprehend how
1: would a parent would put their child through that. Now, the parents that I talked about, because they didn't want that shame of the kid getting pregnant at 11, and they didn't want the church to be under investigation. But child marriage does not differentiate between religions, race, ethnicity. It happens everywhere. I I don't know being beliefs, being we don't have money, let's sell off the child. I do not comprehend that a parent will put a child through that, but it's happening.
0: What kind of numbers are we talking about in the States in terms of child marriage and human trafficking? How many girls are we talking about?
1: We had around 248,000 minors getting married between 2000 and 2010. There are 20 three states that do not keep statistics on child marriage. One of them uh, was California until Senator Hill's bill passed. Now they have to keep statistics. We asked the Secretary of State to provide us with that report because the counties have to report those numbers now. And you know what, Corinne? Not all counties reported those numbers. So we really cannot depend on those numbers that they provide to the Secretary of State. So 23 states do not report those numbers. What I'm working with, one of my board members is a professor at USC in the School of Medicine. And she hired two interns trying to find the actual numbers for us in California. We're also working with another professor from USC who's into census data and he sent us a prelim data as of 2017. There's very high numbers. We're talking into hundreds of thousands. However, we need to look at this data carefully. We need to make sure it's correct because what the census asked for is, I was looking at data of women up to uh, young girls, up to 17, They mention married under 17, they mention separated, divorced, or widowed, and they also have male and female statistics. So we need to study those carefully before we can release them, but I cannot give you an exact current number because of that fact that 23 states do not report these statistics.
0: Okay. But with child marriage, it sounds like the parents are usually complicit in that in some way. Absolutely. Yes. And sometimes because the girl is pregnant
1: and it could be rape that they feel if he, the rapist convinces her that the best thing that happens is married or the parents convinces them that the best thing is marriage, then he's not charged with statutory rape. He gets a A free card out of jail, and then she ends up being
0: married at 14, 15, 16, 17. Okay, that is so unfortunate. We'll be right back after a short break. Hey, it's Dr. Kieran, and I have an invitation for you. I know you love the podcast because you're all about Her Brilliant Health Revolution, but did you know that I also have a YouTube channel where you'll learn Her Brilliant Health secrets, things you won't find in your doctor's office. There, I'll share videos with you each week talking about a different tool that you can use to heal, lose weight, increase your energy, and move your health in the right direction towards the brilliant health that you deserve. Find me at youtube.com forward slash Kieran Dunstan, MD. That's K-Y-R-I-N-D-U-N-S-T-O-N-M-D. I'll see you there. Welcome back. Back to the human trafficking, so that the parents are generally unaware, and you started talking about what are some of the symptoms, because this can be happening to, as I understand it, many middle-class children who go to good schools and come from good families, and the parents may not be aware. And so if you could speak to that, and then also some of the signs that parents might look for. Sure. So I know you asked me about the data and I only answered
1: part, which is child marriage, but human trafficking. So 40 million approximately in modern day slavery, which is human trafficking. And that includes 25 million in forced labor and 15 million in forced marriage. That's globally. One in every four victims of modern day slavery are children and women and girls are 99% of victims in the commercial sex industry so some of the signs just to give you an idea that the as far as the states the highest number in child marriage are texas florida kentucky alabama tennessee and then as far as human trafficking Number one calls because we don't know the actual numbers of human trafficking. There's a bill in the Senate, the number escapes me. So before you ask me, where they're asking for funds in order to come up with the actual number of victims of human trafficking because we wouldn't know someone is a victim unless they call the hotline or they reach out. So they could be there in plain sight and we don't know that they are. So, but the highest number of calls are from California. We have a very large state and there's a lot of raising awareness going on and people know that they need to call and you can see those numbers that people can call if they're a victim or someone suspects that there's a victim. So California is number one, Texas is number two, Florida is number three, Ohio, New York, Michigan, Georgia, as you mentioned, and then the numbers go on. If people want to learn more about statistics, go to the Polaris project, to their website. But some of the uh, things or the signs, the red flags that either parents or teachers need to look for, one is do they have two cell phones? Two, are they wearing expensive items and designer clothes that they didn't have before? And three, are they missing school frequently? Is there a sign of drug use? New and expensive, as I mentioned, items. New or multiple cell phones. Changes in behavior. They're now disinterested in activities that they previously used to care about. They avoid looking you in the eye. Homelessness. Habitual runaway. In fact, I just was watching yesterday, I came across a website and I was watching an interview, I think it was on NBC, and I forgot what state it was. This young girl, because her grades were lower than usual, instead of trying to face that with her parents, she decided to run away. And then she ended up being a victim of human trafficking. So physical injuries, or if you see physical injuries or malnourishment... I was speaking at the Newport Beach Women Democratic Club, and another speaker was a victim of sex trafficking, human trafficking. Unfortunately, this young girl, and it's also a very high percent of them, are being lured into sex trafficking by people that they know, either a family member or a friend. This young lady was basically put into sex trafficking by the uncle because her mother and her moved into the uncle's house here from Hawaii, here that is in California, and he sexually molested her. And then he basically forced her to go out in the streets and have to bring him a certain amount of money every day. And she said that While every uh, the students were going home to have dinner and study, she had to hit the streets and bring a certain amount of money back to that uncle. And when somebody asked, why didn't you tell your mother? did you tell anyone? She said, there's a lot of shame, one. And anybody and counselors will tell you, there's a lot of shame and people and these young ones don't want to admit to this shame. And they basically feel that they're the ones who started it because the traffickers are so manipulative. And so there's a lot of shame. And also because the mother kept saying, thank God for this uncle. He's the one between us and being homeless on the streets and he's our protector and so on and so forth. So she never told her mom. And she said it wasn't until her senior year that a counselor said, oh, what are those injuries? on your basically arms, and that's why I said physical injuries or malnourishment. Presence of an elder or an older and controlling partner. Knowledge of the human trafficking uh, industry slang. Or graphic or inappropriate online profile. Offer of a high-paying job that is too good to be true, which is another example. What happens is that sometimes the victims are recruited to become recruiters themselves and they're going to into our middle school middle schools and recruiting other children into human trafficking and so one example was this young girl who has an iPhone and an iwatch and some other designer items and to cut the long story short she tells the other friend who noticed this, that she's working for a runner, for this businessman, and she went for an interview, and the friend begs for an interview. They go for the interview. She gets raped and put into human trafficking. Another example, I was the main speaker at the International Association of Insurance Professionals, and after my speech during the luncheon, someone came to me and they said their niece was trafficked. Now, the mother is a lawyer, the father is a doctor, and she was studying in Georgia. And she was approached with the classical tagline, you are so beautiful, we want to make you a model. And she goes for the interview, she gets raped. And then she's put into sex trafficking. And when she wanted to leave, they said, you know what, we took a video of you. And so if you don't tell the line, we're going to show that to your parents. And after a while, when she really insisted to leave, they said, well, we're going to kill your family. So she just left her room and headed back to LA. And on the way, she called her parents and said, I'm heading back home. Don't ask me any questions. I'll let you know. I'll tell you everything when I get home. But please be very, very careful. And now she speaks for the FBI, and she does training for the judiciary on the signs of human trafficking and the things that traffickers go through. So the judiciary and law enforcement understands more As you mentioned, the difference between a prostitute who does it willingly, knowingly, and a victim of human trafficking where fraud, force, and coercion is involved.
0: Oh my gosh, I know I have to take a deep breath and I know everybody listening has to take a deep (laughs) deep breath. This is just, it's a lot. It is. You know, I know a lot of people listening are, are probably when they learn of this, they think, well, why wouldn't the girls tell their parents? And I know you've mentioned in the stories And I guess it gets back to the same reason that younger women don't tell a lot of things, like when they're date raped. You know, when you undergo a traumatic event and having any type of sexual trauma would qualify, there is a lot of shame and there is a lot of blaming the victim in our country, and that probably prevents it. And then at some point, once the woman or girl is working with these people, I would imagine there's some degree of, I guess they call it the Stockholm syndrome that occurs where there is bonding of the girl to her captor, is that correct? You're absolutely right. We had our
1: first human trafficking and child marriage forum at the University of California, Irvine School of Law. And we co-hosted it with the UCI initiative to end family violence. One of the speakers that we had was the chief of police from San Diego. And I picked the chief of police from San Diego, California, because it's one of the top 13 counties in the nation as far as trafficking. And he mentioned exactly what you're saying. It's either through threat or manipulation that the victims bond with their captors. And there are a lot of times where the victim will not provide any evidence to charge that trafficker. And the traffickers, he kept saying, they move them from place to place to avoid capture themselves, the traffickers, and also to disorient the women. Now, we have, I have to give a shout out to that district attorney in San Diego. She knew she has a problem, a challenge, and that the youth, there's a high number of youth becoming victims of human trafficking. So now she has introduced a human trafficking awareness program in all public schools in San Diego. They developed that program, it cost them money, and they also got a grant from UBS Foundation, the financial institution, for two million. And they rolled out that program into all public schools in San Diego. I'm trying to roll out that program in Orange County, California, where I live, but it appears through some contacts that I just met recently over these virtual meetings, that we may be able to roll out this in the Los Angeles Unified School District before even Orange County. So because we have an assembly bill called 1227 that mandates that a human trafficking awareness program is rolled out in all public schools. Now, this Nonprofit. it's called three strings global foundation they have a program for elementary kids they have a program for middle schools and they have a program for high schools and they go in and train basically they go to a school district they train everyone at the school district they start from janitors bus drivers admins whoever the district is willing to be trained, they train them. Then they ask for volunteer teachers to volunteer to train that curriculum. And so what they charge is somewhere between 500 to 1500 for the training part. And then every time a teacher volunteers to teach and they basically use that curriculum, at $75. I'm just giving you an approximate figure. So basically then the teachers will teach that curriculum through the year, but it has to be on a volunteer basis. And they have online curriculum and they have in-person curriculum and they have a combination thereof. Now they rolled out that program into 48 out of the 58 counties in California. And that's why I'm trying them to come in into Orange County and LA County and, and the rest of you know, the 10 counties that do not have that program.
0: Okay, so it sounds like uh, people have been mobilized to increase education and there are some people pushing through bills to maybe make these laws, which sounds very promising. And what can the individual who's listening and really appalled right now do in their local community? What they need to do is find out a nonprofit or an
1: organization that is trying to prevent, that is on the prevention side, because we want, again, we want to prevent the children, the minors, from going through that trauma. So we want to get into a program that does prevention and then be a speaker. Again, I do 10 to 12 speaking engagements a month. And I can not tell everywhere I go that people do not have a clue, as we mentioned, about human trafficking or child marriage. So volunteer, be a speaker, meet with your, get educated on the topic. Do you have the laws in your state that are punishing both the trafficker and the buyer? Because it's based on demand and supply, human trafficking is. So if we can reduce the demand. We can organically, that supply will be reduced. And right now, I can only speak for California. If you're caught as a buyer with a victim of human trafficking, it's a slap on the wrist misdemeanor. How can you? We are 51% of the population The women are, and they get just a slap on the wrist misdemeanor. So it needs to be raised to a felony because then we're hoping that they will think twice about doing this and because it's going to go on the record, it's going to affect their employment and their everyday life. They just did a sting in Anaheim where Disneyland is and they caught someone and the guy decided that that's what he wanted to do between the time he dropped his wife to get her nails done and the time he picked her up. Uh, his luck is that she was an undercover cop. He thought he was going to have sex with so, it was an undercover cup. So, I think we even need to get deeper than that. We need to have programs in school that are educate the kids on what is a healthy relationship, respect for girls, respect for young ladies, respect for women and girls. So education on healthy relationship, respect for women and girls. And then, we need to educate the, our legislators. If we have this issue, then we need to pressure them to introduce legislation that, and that's what we're doing in California. Besides the speaking engagements, everywhere I speak, I had these advocacy cards where I asked people to sign. It's a stack of seven for each person, one on, on child marriage, one on human trafficking, And I can send you examples if you like, any listeners who would like to do the same thing. And I have people sign them and we mail them to the elected officials. I have interns who go in on the internet, find out from these people's address who their assembly person is, their senator. We know who the governor is and the district attorney. And one of each goes to the assembly member, that senator and the governor. So far, and we just started this eight months ago, So far, we mailed over 6,300 of these cards. And just recently, we went digital with the child marriage card because our ask is very clear on child marriage. No child marriage under 18, no exception. So we're asking everybody to go on our... We have two websites, globalhope365.org and CA... That is for California CA Coalition to End Child And we have a digital campaign there through Action Network to End Child Marriage, where you put your information and a digital letter goes to your senator. With this one, I'm trying because I think we don't have time. We need to save those kids. It's going to both state legislators and federal. If I can get a legislation passed on the federal side that said no child marriage under 18, no exception, before the state, hey, I'm happy. If I can get it in the state before the federal side, I'm very happy also. Whatever we can do to prevent the children and the youth of becoming victims of human trafficking and child marriage, that's what we're doing. So at this time, I'm trying to work on my digital campaign for uh, human trafficking because I had four asks on these cards. One was increase the penalty on the trafficker from felony, and that's in California, from felony to violent felony, because as Sergeant Juan Revellis from Anaheim PD, and he's the one assigned to the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, he suggested that I carry that on my advocacy card, because he said, Rima, we charge them for 10 years, they're out in five, and they go back to doing the same thing. And the second ask was, increase the penalty on the buyer from a misdemeanor, to a felony. The third one was include their picture in the national sex offender the buyer's picture into the national sex offender registry. So when the neighbors go check pedophiles in the neighborhood, their picture is gonna pop up. But if you're a felony, if there's a felony, then it will go into the national sex offender registry. So I'm taking that out. And then the last ask was introduce human trafficking awareness program in all public schools. And so again, it depends whether you have that. So I'm modifying that to say in the remaining counties that do not have that program according to AB 1227. You have to tailor make those advocacy cards or the ask according to your state and county. And I did meet with our Orange County District Attorney hoping that they will do the same as the one in San Diego did, uh, Samar Stefan did in San Diego, it appears that they don't have time to fundraise for their own anti-gang program, GRIP, let alone a new program that's brought in by their citizens. So I'm trying to raise the funds myself in order to roll out that program into Orange County schools. Now, San Diego, as I mentioned, it costs $2 million for $300,000. And fifty students. We have close to 500 students here in Orange County. And so you could do the math, but it costs $5.70 a student. So if I can raise $6 at a time, I can build up a treasury and roll out that program into one school district at a time. I don't have to do it everywhere at the same time. So we basically do whatever we can in order to make things better And protect our minors and our youth.
0: This is some really heavy information, but it's such important information. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because I think that we are just not aware that this is happening. We're not seeing it in the media like we should. People should be up in arms, just like we are up in arms about the number of people who have died from the COVID virus or been affected. We have equal numbers on and greater being affected by the human sex trafficking in the U.S. and child marriage. So I'm going to encourage everyone listening to go to your website. We will put the link in the show notes to the Global Hope 365 website to inquire about the, getting the cards that you're discussing and sending them to their legislators, donating their time, their money. And really, I love that you shared with me before we started that your favorite quote was by Margaret Mead Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has and you like to say committed women and I agree that's why I do this podcast it's by women for women so that you can live healthier lives not just for one of us but for all of us each one of us and so the high tide lifts all boats when we help each other so this is my call you know I don't ask for people to do things for the greater good necessarily on each podcast, I usually ask people, how are you going to take this information about your health and implement it in your life so that your health can improve? But today I'm going to ask you what you can do towards this cause to help raise another woman, another girl, another child. So thank you so much for joining me, Rima. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And the the most important thing
1: is we continue to raise awareness in order to save. Lives. I'll end with the fact that UNICEF indicated that child marriage is human rights abuse. The State Department issued a report in 2016 said child marriage is human rights abuse in other countries. And I say, what about our country? What about our
0: kids? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review, and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, Post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic. It's science.